This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Available every day during the Cricket World Cup. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. There's a mix-up. Oh, there could be a run-out. There will be a run-out. Oh. The tie. Australia is in the final. Kevin O'Brien from nowhere has scored the fastest 100 in World Cup history. He's bowling, that's it. The West Indies have retained the title. And India have caused one of the greatest upsets in the history of all sport. And straight towards Stokes, who takes an incredible one-handed catch. Hello and welcome to the Test Match Special podcast from Bristol where there's been no play between Sri Lanka and Pakistan due to rain. England, meanwhile, are preparing to play their third match of the tournament against Bangladesh in Cardiff. In this podcast, we'll hear from Owen Morgan, former England coach Paul Farbrace, Tim Mills will tell us about Jofra Archer's many variations and we'll hear from the only English head coach in the whole tournament. From BBC Radio 5 Live, this is the TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Andy Zaltzman is here as well. So only the third complete washout in World Cup history, Andy. Yes, in over 400 games, there have only been seven no results in that. So generally, rain has looked favourably upon World Cups. So clearly the ancient Gloucestershire god of rain splatter axe or whatever he's called just didn't want to see the, the record-breakingly awful sri lankan middle order bat today um after their performances in their first two games uh, but the good news for pakistan uh two things 100 percent of the teams that have been involved in an abandoned world cup match against sri lanka in england have gone on to win the world cup Admittedly, that is a sample of one, West Indies in 1979. But still, that's something to cling to. Another thing to cling to for Pakistan is that when they won in 92 in a round-robin tournament, they began with a loss, then a win, then a game that wasn't finished due to rain. And so they've done exactly the same here. So history is very much already polishing that trophy for Pakistan. Well, I think the last time I was here in Bristol, we came up with a stat which said Australia cannot win the World Cup, yep. statistically. You so can't, You can't Pakistan, fight stats. You cannot fight stats. Pakistan are going to win the World Cup. Yes. So everyone else might as well go home. You better just tell us those two other washouts then, because people are saying, well, when were they? So the two were uh, West Indies, Sri Lanka at the Oval in 1979 um, and uh, Australia, Bangladesh in Brisbane in 2015. Australia went on to win that tournament. So every time there's been a washout, one of the two teams spending a day sitting in the dressing room watching the rainfall has ended up lifting the trophy. So every cloud and all that sort of thing. Right, well, England will be desperately hoping there's not a washout in Cardiff tomorrow. Actually, the forecast is not too bad for that match against Bangladesh. Let's hear from England captain Owen Morgan. He's been speaking to Eleanor Aldroyd. It's not been often you've had to reflect, Owen, on defeat, but how have you reflected on Monday at Trent Bridge? Yeah, well, I think as well as we could. Obviously, we're disappointed we lost the game. I think it presents a good opportunity to learn more about us as a side and hopefully to kick on from here uh, for the rest of the tournament. Uh, It's not going to be plain sailing the whole way. We spoke about that as a team and it's important to see a a good positive reaction uh, from the game at Trent Bridge. So we're looking forward to tomorrow. It's another tough challenge against Bangladesh. They're a strong team who have had a really good start to the tournament. It presents new challenges, uh, but ones we hopefully can overcome and... Yeah, I look forward to it. What kind of conversations have you had in the group of you since you got back together? Yeah, a lot of it's about um, going back to what we do well, uh, sticking to our strengths and the process of how we get results and 
focusing on that uh, because it's obviously a very important part of producing a win. No extra fielding drills? No, absolutely not. Fielding for us has, has been an extremely strong point. We proved that in the first game of the World Cup against South Africa. We obviously had a bad day in the field at Trent Bridge. That can happen. Um, hopefully looking to produce a better performance than that tomorrow. You all had the chance to, to go home, spend some time at home. What do you do? Do you, do you sit with your feet up watching, the, watching cricket matches all day <laughs> or, or do you have something more interesting to do than that? No, more interesting. Uh, I personally, I watch a lot of horse racing, um, speak to a lot of friends and family, try and get away from the game. I'll keep an eye on the scores in the evening to see who's won the games and if anything's happened. Um, but that's about it. I try and get away from it. Is that a big advantage of a home World Cup? Or, or can, do you sometimes feel actually you, you take your mind away from it in not necessarily the best way possible? So sometimes you need to kind of come back and then refocus? Yeah, I think you do. Certainly travelling around the world like we do, as, and as much as we do, you only ever have your hotel room to go to and you know your, your thoughts get wandering in a hotel room as, as opposed to being with close friends and family who have been around from the very beginning and know how you tick and how you work and if you want time away how you spend it so it is an advantage and hopefully we can use it uh, throughout the tournament because we do have a lot of breaks. We talk about home World Cup as well but at the same time you're going to grounds where you've got a lot of fans supporting the other teams so we saw that at Trent Bridge we're going to see that presumably here in Cardiff as well with Bangladesh fans. Yeah that'll continue and that's part and parcel of the tournament we do go to the four corners of the country to to cover games and, and to play at venues and hopefully encourage our fans to come out and support us um, and inspire the next generation because there are two sides to a World Cup there's the performance side which is obviously very important but it's it's how you perform and how you deal with winning and losing obviously contributes to the, the younger generation of, of kids coming through As far as setting yourselves up for this game is concerned uh, some talk that Adil Rashid might miss out this time what are your thoughts at the moment? Yeah, here there's a chance we might go to four seamers. The, the wicket that we've seen yesterday did look similar to the two wickets that have been play, played on here previously. Uh, a little bit extra grass on and it is green grass with a little bit of weather around as well. Um, there's a, a chance that we will look into changing the team. Uh, however, we will confirm that tomorrow. I know that you won't be taking Bangladesh lightly in any way, shape or form. And, and in some ways, is, is it a team that you're going to pay extra attention to? bearing in mind what happened four years ago and and how strong and how experienced they are. Yeah, I, I think just on that point, them being a very strong side, you know, they beat South Africa, they ran very close race against New Zealand. Um, but the experienced senior players that they have are, are have played a lot more games than we have. Um, and they probably don't get as much coverage at, at home for us as other sides do. So we certainly know them inside out. We've, we've toured Bangladesh, we've played them at home, we've played them in world tournaments, we know the challenges that they present, so hopefully we can overcome them. Played two, won one, lost one. No sense of panic buttons being pressed or any fingers anywhere near panic buttons? Absolutely not. Um, we know what we need to do to win a game. We're very realistic about performances when we win and lose games. Uh, if it doesn't go away the next game or the game after, there's no panic stations. It's all about producing uh, performances and hopefully sticking to the process that the performances will produce. That's Owen Morgan speaking to Eleanor Oldroy. With me, a former England assistant coach, Paul Farbrace, and our correspondent, uh, Jonathan Agnew. Uh, Paul, let's start with you. What would have been said in that dressing room after that defeat to Pakistan? I think the, the key thing would have been 
and uh, the word panic. There, there is no panic. I think that's one of Owen Morgan's real strengths is that he, he's very clear after a game. Um, the, the team have a very clear plan that they work to um, and Morgs would have made sure that everybody went away before the couple of days break at home being very clear that we concentrate on ourselves. We, we think very much about our own individual performance, but we think about how that fits into the team performance. And we know what we're trying to do as a team. And I think that would have been his message to the players. Make sure that when you come back and we practice before the next game, we're very clear that it is about what we do. And we can't control what the opposition do. It's all very much about what the team do and making sure that we stay true to our values and true to ourselves to make sure that we play our best game. And, and there will be no panic. It was a, it was a disappointing defeat. Um, and Morgs is a very honest character. The way that he speaks to the media after games is exactly the way he speaks to his team in the changing room after a game. Is it one of the benefits of being the home team that you can actually just get away from the World Cup for a few days? Definitely. And, and I think that's something we, we talked about that, you know, in the planning and the preparation over the last couple of years. That was something that we were very keen to do. At the same time, make sure that the team embraced the World Cup and didn't lock themselves away from the from the day-to-day the, the -day of the World Cup. Enjoy the World Cup. Enjoy the spectacle that it is and feel very much part of it because I think that's really important as well. But all the way through the tournament, there are plans for the team at certain stages to get a couple of days away, go away from a hotel, go home, relax, do what you have a bit of a normal day and then come back together again. And I think that freshness will certainly help this team. I think this team of this group of players, the shorter, sharper series have definitely worked well for them. So that there is trying to compartmentalise it into sort of almost three short group stages makes it better for this group of players. Mm. Jonathan, a plunket for Rashid seems mm. to be the, the word. Are you surprised by that, that England are, are thinking about doing this uh, this stage in the in the tournament? I mean, there's a lot of talk about you know, Rashid being you know, one of their key bowlers uh, for this World Cup. Absolutely. I suppose you're, you're talking conditions, you're talking Cardiff, which has got long square boundaries on, on either side, and, and, and the, the, the pitch, which, of course, we haven't seen as yet. Um, but with the rain around, uh, the earlier matches we've seen there, the balls move around, and Owen Morgan suggested there he saw the pitch yesterday and it had a little bit of green in it. And the opposition, I suppose, that they are thinking of, of getting after Bangladesh a bit, and therefore if they're going to have men out, they're going to bowl a bit uh, aggressively at them, then that possibly is a sort of ground where Batson might be forced to take on the, uh, the, the, the hook shot that... Yeah, that might succeed, but I mean, you wouldn't normally, I don't think, think too much about dropping Adil Rashid. He's a valuable member of the side, but it's, it's horses for courses. And I, and I don't think that if they do make that change, it's through any pressing of a panic button. I mean, far from it, although I didn't think they were very good the other day at all at Trent Bridge. And, and, and maybe they were a little bit overhyped, perhaps, from that first game. And it was, it was, it was all, you know, that all took a lot of energy out of them. But they've got to come back and produce much better cricket uh, all all round because, as we're saying, I mean, Bangladesh are experienced. Side. They've got five of their squad have played around about 200 games. Uh, and, and you look at England, there's only Morgan around that mark. You know, Bangladesh are not minnows anymore, to use that well-worn expression. You know, they're an experienced, hardened team. And if England can get them in conditions that suit England rather than Bangladesh, they'll be very pleased. Bangladesh have beaten England four times. The first time was here in Bristol in July 2010. And actually, they've won four of their last 
eight matches against England. So Bangladesh have won four, England have won four of their last uh, eight matches against each other. Since the Champions Trophy 2017, Rashid has missed one one-day international and Moeen has missed uh, two. Uh, how concerned are you, Jonathan, with, with Moeen's form with the bat? Well, very. He just, he, just, he just looks as if he hasn't got confidence at the moment. Um, I don't know how they can give him give him time. I mean, funnily enough, if if they if if they hadn't lost to Pakistan, th- this match might have been one in which a they could have brought perhaps what, what one or two players in from outside to give them some cricket. And this is you know, an, an issue maybe further down the line if somebody breaks a finger, does a hamstring, something like that. You know, seven seven games in or, or something, there would be people who who have been sitting around who wouldn't have had any cricket. And it it, it might have been a game which he might have actually got mowing up the order a bit to give him. To, to give him a hit and just try and get him some confidence, but but because of that loss to Pakistan, um, you know the, the, this, this this match really comes under the spotlight now, and they simply can't they, they can't afford to, to to do anything like that. I don't think they've got to get out there and, they, and they've got to win this match, and therefore any thought of experimenting or, or easing somebody in or, or, or getting Moe in a chance to have some time at the middle, rather than going in and, and 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 having to score from from the off. I think all that's been shelved now. They've got to get out there and out there and win yeah what about the general feel in the camp they did so well in the Pakistan uh, one day series they've been doing so well for four years but this is when it this is when it really matters Owen Morgan we, we, we've known him he, he'll he'll sort of soak it all up and I don't know what he's feeling underneath but is he and is he able to transmit that feeling of, of, of being a relaxed team to the players as he seems to be able to or do you think there will be in that dressing room that that feeling of of slight doubt and this is this is the this is the world cup this is big now and we've we've just blown a a great chance of, of making it two wins out of two yeah. do, do, do you know what i mean it's yeah, before I, the champions I, I, trophy I, I, as well i don't think um i don't think there will be any doubts in the dressing room i think they're a very positive confident group of players i, I think that owen as i say leads the team exceptionally well i mean he, he is a man of few words but they're very positive the players all know that he supports them 100%. So, you know, there won't have been a long inquest the other day about fielding. And Eleanor's question earlier, have you been doing extra fielding practice? No, we haven't, because we know we're a good fielding side. Everybody talked after the first game, it was the best England fielding performance. Well, that was a pretty average performance the other day at Trembridge. There was a lot of average things. The things they would have taken away would have been the fact they got within 14 runs, having played a pretty ordinary, put on a pretty ordinary performance. So th- th- they're very good at putting the last game's gone. It's not about the last game, it's about the next game now. And, and Morgs will very much be talking, and they've been talking to the players the last two days about it's this game that counts. This is all that matters. What's gone's gone. It's all about this game. We know we're a good side. We know we're well organised. We've got very good plans. We've got fantastic players. We've got match winners up and down the order with bat and ball. Let's go and do what we do well. Let's concentrate on what we do and let's not get caught up in worrying about what Bangladesh can or possibly might do. I know you feel that there's a bit of an after-the-Lord Mayor's show performance Definitely. with the Pakistan games. They put so much into the South Africa game. I, I think you will. And I think, you know, there's been so much build-up and so much hype going into this World Cup about, you know, being the favourite and, you know, that there was so much through that Pakistan series. I, I think the England players were almost ready to start the World Cup about three weeks ago. I think in many ways they wish they hadn't had... You know, that, that five-match series against Pakistan, you needed it. 
and then I think that the, the feeling I was getting looking from a distance about the, the week that led up to the World Cup, those two practice games are almost, uh, we don't need them. We, let's just yeah. get on with the tournament. And I think so much pent-up energy went into that first game at the Oval and it was a magnificent fielding performance. They did really well. And they just looked flat to me at Trembridge the other day. They just looked very flat and just looking at people's body language, you know, they just looked as though they put so much into the previous game. That would have been a real lesson learned. There'd been a real lesson learned in that last game and I fully expect them now to come out all guns blazing. I hope you can focus too. I, I, I'm at, there were one or two incidents at Trent Bridge the other day that had me a little bit worried. You know, Joe, Joe Root, for instance, you know, convinced something odd was going on with the ball. Um, well, the umpire's actually doing a pretty good job, the games I've seen, in, in, in keeping an eye on the number of times it bounces on you know, coming in from the deep and, and so on. And, and they were all over it, I thought then. And even to the point of actually showing the ball to Root and saying, look, there is nothing wrong with this, and there was there was seemed, you know, it wasn't going on. And, and Wokes, unusually for him, down the boundary, getting excited, and, and Archer find. I mean, it's they, they've just got to keep that bit of focus as well, haven't they, Paul? And, and just get out there and just just play the way they've been doing it for the last couple of years. Absolutely, and I think that in, in many ways, you know, it, it happening in the second game that they will have addressed a lot of those issues. It just looked like a bit of a, a tetchy, grumpy um, team on the field. So and where I, does that come from then? After you've, you've won the well, first I, game... I, I, and I think, the fir- the, as I say, I think they put so much into that first game that, that the second game, there was almost a stage of, you know, perhaps a little bit sort of, not not flat, tired, but a bit drained, whatever it might be. And, I, and, and it just looked like a, a group of, you know, lads who were a bit tired, a bit touchy. Um, needed a couple of days away from one another uh, and we'll come back fresh. And, and as I say, Morgs is, is such a good reader of the group. He's such a good reader of individuals and he knows how to get the best out of people. And I think he'd have been very honest with them after the game and said, look, this wasn't good enough. This wasn't, this wasn't how we play the game. We got caught up in too many things we shouldn't have been caught up in. Let's come back fresh and let's make sure we're on it come Saturday in Cardiff. Andy Zaltzman. Well, I was going to ask, um, this being yeah, a, a World Cup, uh, with you know, nine different opponents, we've seen England be absolutely outstanding in bilateral series over the last last few years. How much different is it from a coaching point of view and from the players preparing when you're having to prepare for nine different teams over the space of a of a few weeks? Yes, a great point, and I, and I think you know we we made that point earlier today with with Vic that it, it's actually very different playing a World Cup in this way, playing a tournament in this way rather than playing a series. It is a definitely a, a different feel. And that's where I think Morgs' strength will be that he will constantly be reminding the team, along with Trevor Bayliss, that it's about what we do. Let's concentrate on what we can do. Let's concentrate on the way that we play the game. Let's stay true to ourselves. That's a phrase that the England team have used a lot over the last couple of years. Stay true to ourselves. Play the game the way that we know we play the game. Let's practice what we do. Let's concentrate on what we do. Yes, there'll be a little bit of opposition analysis. But ultimately, if we play the game that we can play, we will beat the opposition. And that that has to be the focus through this tournament. Jonathan, it's unthinkable, isn't it, that England can lose to Bangladesh tomorrow? Not, it's not impossible. What I mean not is, well, it's not impossible. But I mean, for their World Cup campaign, I mean, to be beaten by Bangladesh at this yeah. stage and be, you know, one win out of three, I mean, that that is not what that was not what they were thinking about in terms of you know when they were going into this World Cup. I, th- I think in some ways, and I do agree with Paul. I think maybe just that slip up against Pakistan might focus some minds. 
uh, and look at things and honestly and say, come on, we, we, we have got to do better than this. We, we, we can afford one slip up. They've got the conditions, I think, to suit them with Bangladesh, all the rain around at the moment, that pitch under covers all day to day, that possibility of playing that extra seamer rather than the spinner. Um, but, you know, I say, you know, look at the way that, that, that um, Bangladesh actually beat South Africa. I mean, it was a proper, skilled, hardened, experienced performance, wasn't it? And that's the sort of team that England are up against. They're, as I said earlier, they're not up against minnows anymore in former Bangladesh. They're up against a, a good team. But the conditions, the experience, and, and, and what England have, have achieved over the last couple of years, OK, we'll have taken a little bit of a dent the other day, but let, let, let's see. But I, I would imagine that they're going to come out and put together a much better performance than that. The TMS Podcast, available every day during the Cricket World Cup. Let's talk a little bit about Jofra Archer now. There was a, you know, a lot of focus on him coming into this World Cup. Would he be picked? Well, yes, he was. I think that was always going to happen. I don't, Paul, I don't know whether you were in on that a couple of months ago when, you know, when he became available, whether you knew he was going to be picked for this World Cup. Well, was my, it? My, my view was quite simple, that we... We knew that he was very skillful. I, I've seen a lot of him. I've watched a lot of Sussex over the last few years. My stepson plays at Sussex, and so I've seen a lot of him. Um, I, I, I had no doubt about his skill. I had absolutely no doubt about that. My concern was that we were almost building him up to be this great saviour to come in and help us cross the line and win the World Cup. And I thought that was a dangerous place to get any player into. Uh, and that was my only concern. You know, I, I have, as I say, no doubt about his skill. I was just nervous that we built him up to... To, to a level that was going to make it very difficult for him. Yeah, because he's still a relatively inexperienced cricketer. He's only 24 years of age. Anyway, so far, three for 27 and naught for 79 at Trent Bridge. Here's an insight into his variations, courtesy of his Sussex teammate, Timur Mills. So you'd probably say in terms of slower balls, his, his, his main go-to is a leg cutter. Um, he'll go to the back of the hand slower ball after that, but his leg cutter is probably his, his, uh, his go-to with his action, the way he kind of comes over that side of the ball slightly. You know, if, when you see him, hope, well, hopefully this summer you'll see him with the red ball in the ashes, but if you do, you'll see he'll, that'll be mainly coming into the right-handed batter, so that suits a leg cutter. Um, and he's got a, he's got a brilliant Yorker, which which you see so much in T20s. Um, but the opposite of variation, I think his strength has been his, his consistency to, to hit the top of the stumps, the top of off stump. And the amount of times you see, you know, in the IPL, the big bash, he comes in in the power play and he just relentlessly smashes that top of off and guys can't hit you and then that forces them to make uh, mistakes and then when you're doing that at good pace which is you know high 80s early 90s that then makes you slower ball you change up the leg cut to the back of the end slower ball that much more effective do you talk to him or have you talked to him about when he uses these and, and, and the techniques behind them the mental side of things and the, the situational one too yeah i think well, Joss obviously played a lot of cricket in a short period of time. He, you know, he kind of he got a gig in the Big Bash uh, with with me in the Hobart Hurricanes two years ago, and that was his first kind of taste of the the big leagues as such. Played for obviously Sussex, and and he played a, a stint in the Bangladesh Premier League. But then he kind of learned on the job, really. Just his natural talent got him through, and and that situationally, that's where you learn. You learn by playing, and you get a feel for things. Um, yeah, his bumper, you know, we've seen in the World Cup already. It's it's a real good weapon, and it's, it it seems to be an extra few mile an hour quicker than the rest. You've seen slow motion his wrist how it kind of snaps behind the ball last minute um so it definitely on your bumper if, if you can get that, a little bit of extra bounce on it it definitely helps because if you bowl a bumper kind of you know not not quite committing to it you, we've seen it it gets gets <laughs> gets demolished doesn't it in world cricket so um yeah you know joff he's, he's a smart guy and he's, he's learning all the time because you know in cricket terms he's still relatively inexperienced he's only been playing kind of at the highest level for 
two years, three years. So, um, you know, in my opinion, it'll only get better. When you saw him at Sussex, were these slow balls and his variations tools he already had, or has he developed those over the, the course of the last couple of years? Well, he's a very natural cricketer, Joff. Yeah. He's, he's annoyingly good at, at everything to do with cricket. You, you know, you'll often see him in the game bowling pretty passable left arm spin in the in the warm-ups and leg spin and he, that's that's how he warms up and he's kind of just can kind of turn his arm to anything and you say oh try bowl this delivery and there's a good chance he'll be able to go out and do it so he's obviously very naturally talented cricketer uh, which we all can see um, in, you know in spades and I think when he first came in it was more just about the pace and and the ease of which he does it and kind of from a slightly awkward action in terms of his run-up but um yeah, I think, um, as I say, the way you can just turn to things you know, quite naturally and quite quickly. And then, you know, he obviously practices really hard as well. Obviously, if he, if he gets his, in, in his mind, he wants to perfect or try a new delivery, he'll get in the nets and he'll, and he'll work on it until he's confident enough to bring it out in the game. How difficult is it, you know, with the element of disguise as well? You know, you've got four or five different deliveries, Yorkers, slower balls, leg cutters, back of the hand ones, bumpers, orthodox deliveries. How hard does he work to try and keep those disguised so that, that, that he fools batsmen? Yeah, so arm speed's the main one for any slower ball. So you, you don't want to drop your arm speed because then you're giving the batsman a cue as in to what's coming. Even if you can't pick what the cue is, you can tell that you know something's going to be happening here. So you know it's a slower ball. Um, and it's just, um, yeah, it's just how you set them up as well. It's, that's also a disguise. So you don't want to be predictable. You don't want it because the amount of cricket that we play now around the world, there's analysts. You know, every game you play is being logged, and you, the, uh, eventually trends will come up. Like the, just to make one up, you could an analyst could come up to you and tell you, look, when Joffrey Archer or any bowler bowls the twentieth over, he bowls on average three out of his six as leg cutters. So you're, you know, and that's that's data, that's facts. So you you've got to try and mix it up. You got to say you got to assess the situation if it's a pitch that isn't quite taking slower balls just to pace on heavy length ball might be just as good so um, it's, it's, it's an interesting one and as you say the amount of data that's out there at the moment and there's, every team has an analyst that's sitting there tapping away and can draw all this information and all these codings um, you can't be predictable so that's where your varieties and, and your amount of different uh, variations uh, really comes into play from bbc radio 5 live this is the tms podcast at the cricket world cup let's talk about england's opponents now bangladesh they beat england in the last two world cups lest we forget chittagong and adelaide former england and worcestershire wicketkeeper steve rhodes is their head coach he's been speaking to the bbc's adam williams about his frustration that his Bangladesh players aren't more experienced in English conditions. I'd like a lot more of them to play county cricket if possible. It seems as though our players are a little bit unfashionable and the coaches don't really want them. But if they really knew the skills and ability of some of the players, they would potentially uh, be signing them. So um, that's a little bit disappointing. But the odd player, Saqib Tamim, has has played uh, county cricket and... uh, you know, that has been useful for them, but I think the international experience of our guys is one of our strengths. You know, we've got uh, guys who've played international cricket for a long period of time now, and we've got plenty of ODI caps under our belt in, in our squad, so experience is one of our strengths. And uh, playing in England, yeah, it's, it's nice having somebody like me with uh, so many years involved in, in the county game and, and, and England and... Uh, but actually, you know what? They they know their stuff as well. Our boys are very clever, and they've played here quite a bit, and uh, they know the grounds, they know the opposition, and they know what to do. 
for you, uh, now that you're about a year into this job, uh, what have been the sort of challenges and what have been the things that have surprised you as well about how, how well you've managed to settle into the role? Yeah, I, it's a very different job to what I was doing and um, there's different challenges um, and, and some are very tough and uh, you know I've had to think long and hard about the way I want to approach things and with a very experienced squad trying to get the best out of those guys so uh, I've come up with a formula that seems to be working at the moment it's uh, it's quite a relaxed frame of uh, coaching and uh, uh, giving the right structure when it's needed and required but I think basically letting some very talented players express themselves and play some good cricket and uh, I think that's best for Bangladesh cricket. I know obviously your full attention on the immediate term will be on, on Bangladesh but uh, as an Englishman and, and someone in your playing career I know who was probably on the fringes of a couple of national squads in your time, um, what do you make of, of England's chances and, and the England team that they've got at their disposal that on home turf surely have, have got to have a very good chance? Oh, well they're playing some amazing cricket at the moment aren't they and uh, you know they're rightfully world number ones and uh, um, they, they've got problems in selecting a squad um, everything's going right for them it's their backyard, they know the grounds they know the, the wickets and they're going to have huge support so they should do very very well but what comes with that is, is huge expectation and the favourites tag and often the pressure uh, can build even more so that's the only thing they've got to guard against is, uh, is trying to handle that weight of expectation from the nation and uh, you know, hopefully for us in Bangladesh, <laughs> as an Englishman saying for us in Bangladesh, it'll be great at Cardiff if we can spoil the party. A few months ago, obviously, this team found itself unfortunately caught up in, in the middle of a, a rather tragic incident in, in Christchurch. You were not too far away from that when it happened and, and the reaction and what happened afterwards was quite well documented. Does something like that really put the game in perspective about where you sort of sit in, in the global stage? Yeah, it, it certainly did that day, and it, it's sad to see the things happen later on in Sri Lanka as well. So, you know, that's another uh, wonderful cricket-playing country that uh, is going through some struggles. But, you know, it, it's a worry for the whole world, I'm sure, and uh, uh, there's lots of, um, you know, strange people out there who are doing some strange things, and uh, it's meant that security has been tightened up, which is, which is great. Um, but the players are OK, that's the important thing for me now, which is... Is you know have the players got over this, and I think they're getting there, um, and they feel safe over here, and they feel safe with the uh, security that we have got. But uh, you know who is safe this day and age? It's very sad to see. But uh, these guys have got no agendas. They're just cricketers who want to play in a World Cup and, and do as well as they can, and hopefully win a World Cup. And that's their dream. So uh, that's on the forefront of their minds at the moment. And thankfully the. You know, the events in Christchurch now are slowly, slowly uh, going away from their thoughts. You personally, though, did you have an opportunity to, to talk to, to some of your your peers in the game, such as Paul Farbrace and, and Trevor Bayliss, who unfortunately found themselves caught in a very similar situation years ago in Pakistan? Well, yeah, I, funnily enough, I, not, not since the event, but uh, I, I actually spoke to Chris Broad and, and, and Farby and Trevor about their... Uh, um, event in, in, in Pakistan and uh, it's very sad and uh, you know I know that the right thing to do is just to crack on and get on with cricket and that's what the boys have done and uh, uh, they, they're quite strong our fellas and they know that uh, uh, playing cricket can be a distraction away from those worries and 
Uh, it's what they enjoy, it's what they love doing. It's, uh, it's a passion as well as a job for a lot of these guys and that's nice to see. I imagine it was important in the immediate aftermath though, of, of those events in Christchurch that the players had their opportunity and their time to, to take stock and, and to take time away from the game. But was it a question of constant conversations with yourselves and the rest of the team to, to work out when they were, were happy to, to move on and keep going? No, it was more we wanted them back with families. You know, there's no better place after an incident like that was to get back with families. So they had a bit of time off, time away. And the other good thing about our boys is that they spend a lot of time together. So. Uh, there's a, a, often you'll find, on an evening there'll be five, six, seven guys in a room just chatting away and that is you know communicating things to each other and sharing their thoughts and, and about that event w would have been healing a healing process and uh, all I can say is you know we're in a good spot now we've not gone down a huge avenue of of counselling and things like that but it's been available but um, um, thankfully for us as I mentioned earlier their passion their desires of is, is actually to do well at cricket and uh, that's in the forefront of their minds which is great they have a distraction away from that shock and horror and and now it's it's a wonderful thing called the world cup that's the bangladesh coach steve rose talking to the bbc's adam williams uh, paul farbrace has been listening to that what advice having been through well something worse actually than than the, the bangladesh players uh, went through what advice would you give those players and Steve Rhodes as a coach well I think it, Steve mentioned it there the fact that they've spent a lot of time together talking about it and being together that that for me was one of the best things that we did I, I was unfortunately in hospital for about a week eight days after the attack uh, and my room became a bit of a hub and, and some of the young lads, Jantha Mendis was also in the hospital. He was in the next room to me. He used to come into my room. And a few of the young lads who were on that trip came in and they used to sit in the room. And we just used to sit and talk and chat. And, and you know, we didn't, some of the lads had counselling, but we didn't have too much counselling because we sort of did that ourselves and we talked through ourselves and we got through the process and, and the, the horrible situation. And I think that's something that, by the sounds of it, the Bangladesh team have done exactly the same. Right, let's move back on to the cricket now and bring in the BBC's Rushan Alam, who contributes to the Dusra podcast on Bangladesh uh, cricket. Well, what have you made of Bangladesh's start? Is it beyond your wildest dreams or did you expect this? I think before the tournament, if I was offered one win and one loss from the first two games, I would have shook your hand on it because it's taking a win against one of the big teams. But I think, had, if I'm honest, had we won two games, had Bangladesh won two games in a row... Uh, then the, the first loss would have been come, would have come as quite a shock because I think it's come at just the right time for them to look at the tight team, look at the lineup, look at the performance, and go, well, here are the things we can tweak going into well, one of the hardest games in the tournament. But also following that, games against uh, what they'll look at as slightly easier games against the other Asian teams. What what chance do you give Bangladesh of upsetting England again? They've beaten them in the last two World Cups. I think this is going to be a significantly harder match than the last two World Cups. Um, and Bangladesh are a significantly better side than they were in the last two World Cups. But England's progression just comparatively seems a lot, lot harder. And I think there's been a deliberate composure from the teams when speaking about this game. I mean, I think a match win is possible, but a lot has to go their way tomorrow for, for them to get the two points. Yeah, what, 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 what do you think they have to do well? I think it starts from team selection. I think the team selection against South Africa was right, but I don't think it was quite right against New Zealand. I think we lacked a, a sort of second strike bowler, someone who much rather could throw the ball to and sort of go, right, get me a wicket here. In fact, I think they left too much to do for Shaqib. They wanted him to sort of choke the run rate and take wickets. So I think 
judging the conditions in Cardiff with it due to rain overnight, I think they need to seriously look at the the, 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 the pitch and the conditions and go, right, who are actually going to, who are the players who are actually going to get a result here? Um, and then I think with Bangladesh, it's always been the first 10 overs of each innings. I think when batting, if you can hold on to your wickets, when we've played on pitches like the one that they'll play on in Cardiff, we've you know seen us Bangladesh be sort of two, three wickets down in the first 10 overs. And that really can change the momentum of the game. And then like the same with the ball, if Fizz can get a couple of wickets early on and sort of take the momentum in Bangladesh's direction, I think that always just carries confidence through the entire game. Do you think a, a game against England on a, on a pitch that might have a green tinge in it after rain overnight holds the same fears for, for Bangladesh as perhaps it would have done, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, coming to a, a World Cup in England and playing against what might well be a, a, a heavily pace-dominated England attack? I don't think they fear it as much. And the reason I, I, I say that is because in the last couple of years, they've had to face these things and they've realised that these are things they needed to work on. They went to the West Indies and, and realised that they were struggling against anything that went down the offside. They um, <clears throat> went to New Zealand and realised that, that they struggled to play against swing. They toured South Africa and were like, well, hang on, we, we're really awful against the short ball. So they've had time to do their homework and figure out a plan and revise and, and come to this World Cup prepared. So I actually think they're in a better position for the challenge tomorrow than they have been uh, during previous series and tournaments. So t- take us through Bangladesh's perfect day in terms of how the game might pan out. <laughs> I think a lot will depend on the toss. Um, I think it's, it's going to be what? It's going to rain overnight. I think if they pick an extra seam with someone like Abu Jayad, who is, hasn't played a game uh, in the World Cup yet, and they can get some extra sort of movement out of the pitch early on and be bold and go, right, we're going to play to the conditions here rather than our traditional strength, I think that could be one way of going about it. Um, I mean, it, it, it's going to depend a lot on also the players just not play, making mistakes. Against New Zealand, I feel like we could have had a win. But there were a lot of kind of silly mistakes that happened. And like Mishvika Raheem Smith run out and, <clears throat> uh, and a couple of the drop catches. There, there was very little in that team where it was like, right, there's a massive problem that they need to go away and work on. It was just silly mistakes that they, they all know that they were silly mistakes and cost them the game. So I think from Bangladesh's point of view, I think a good result in the toss. I think picking the right lineup and then just applying and doing everything that they know they can do to the best of their abilities and hoping they have a good day on the pitch. From BBC Radio 5 Live, this is the TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. So that's the Bangladesh game plan. They just need to deliver now. What about England then? What have they been up to since their defeat to Pakistan? Here's Mark Wood. I just went straight to London for a couple of days with my wife. And we ended up going to um, Harry Potter World, which is, uh, which is good fun. I'd, I'd, it's something that... Um, I mean, I enjoy the Harry, pa- Harry Potter films. My wife loves the Harry Potter stuff, to, so to see the props and um, the, the studio set and have a go of the, um, the, the flying the brooms and all that kind of stuff was, uh, was actually a good laugh. Um, I can't believe actually how excited I was. I was nearly as excited as playing a World Cup match. I, mean, I wasn't that excited, but I was pretty excited. Um, you know, the Gryffindor scarfs and all that. I had them all up, the robes, I had everything on. I was, you know, if you're going to have a go, you've got to play a full part, haven't you? So, um, no, I really enjoyed it. I was, I was surprised how, how excited I was to go. Uh, I was like a little kid. Um, but uh, no, a great day out and something, something good to do to switch off completely from cricket. Because when you're at cricket, like I say, you're switched on, it's intense, 
um, and it's, it can be quite draining. Whereas if, when you're away from cricket, if you can totally switch off and do something else, it's, um, it makes it uh, better when you come back to doing, to doing cricket. Um, you, you reflect on the match and you have a think about what could have gone better, what I, what I could have done better, what we could have done better as a team. But um, as well, you've got to have that sort of downtime where you, you do something completely different. And uh, I don't know what else I can do next. Maybe the British History Museum, or maybe I'll go into Hobbiton, or a trip to New Zealand. I don't know. Um, something, something else. It was good fun, though. Favorite Harry Potter film? I like the Half Blood Prince. I quite like Snape. You know, a bit dark and a bit edgy, isn't he? And is Alan he, Rickman's class. Is he your favorite character? I think he probably is. Uh, I probably him or. or uh, Johnny Burst or Ron Weasley, one, one of them too. Did anyone at Harry Potter World go, that looks like Mark Wood in a Gryffindor scarf? <laughs> no, I got away with it. I was obviously that well disguised that, uh, that they, they must have just thought it was uh, part of the common room at uh, the Gryffindor common room, so I, I got away with it. Well, that was Mark Wood. You can read more about that in his column on the BBC Sport website and app. Andy, do you think Harry Potter World is an appropriate way to prepare for a World Cup match, I'm sure you've got plenty of experience of this. I, I've not, I'm not acquainted with Harry Potter world, to be honest. Um, I, I, yeah, a bit of Quidditch practice, I guess that hones the reactions, doesn't it? You know, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a theme parks. I'm, I, I'd like to think the England team has, you know, been spending the afternoons at Eddie Hemmings World, the uh, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Nottinghamshire theme park based what? around the life and times of the, the great mustachioed off-spinner. Yeah, have we got a bit of time for this? Where does, what does Eddie Hemmings' world look like then, I well, wonder? I imagine there's some thrilling roller coaster shaped like his moustache and, you know, the twirlinator re- recreates the way that his 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 tidy off-spin would whiz through the air. I, I haven't really thought it through, Simon. <laughs> but I do hope that... someday there will be an Eddie Hemmings' world for the children. Well, a, I think there should be, and I think B, it's fairly clear you haven't really thought it through. But I mean, out there listening to this, you can have let your imaginations run wild to think what Eddie Hemmings' world would look like. Now we've also been asking you uh, where you're listening, Ollie. Where... <laughs> I'm sure you could have theme parks based on other old England spinners as well. Okay. Big marks, well, there we go. Well, we'll just ale- allow you to uh, let your imaginations run wild on that. Now, we've also been asking where you're listening. Ollie Williams. Hi, TMS team. I am listening to the podcast on my commute to work from Casina de Pecci into Milan. Cricket is not known or followed here, but through the medium of... BBQ Street Cricket. I've actually Googled that and it doesn't. nothing comes up at all so I'm not absolutely sure what that is. But through the medium of BBQ Street Cricket I try in vain to convert the locals one at a time. Is that just setting up a barbecue in the street and then charging people if they want a sausage, you've got to play some cricket. I mean, I'd like to see that scheme tried around the, school, the schools and parks of Britain. Well, maybe they could put BBQ Street Cricket in Eddie Hemmings' world. <laughs> well, we can build a better planet. Uh, this comes from Jeremy Kent. Hi, TMS. The podcast is the highlight of my life. Sorry, day, he wrote. Sorry. Every day so far this summer. Listening from my French home in the ski resort of Val Thorens, um, he says, uh, we had snow last week. So to hear the cricket is a is a real tonic. Mm. So, or to hear the lack of cricket today. Indeed. Sam Tar, dear TMS team, I've been following the World Cup on your podcast and more importantly, Somerset's pursuit of a first ever county championship title from Beijing, which I can happily report is currently not smog bound. 
indeed the air after the storms has an almost English freshness to it. Currently gearing up for our own cricket season here, which consists of a three-team league. I represent the Beijing Ducks. That's not, not a great name for a, a cricket team, is it? <laughs> That's good, good bit of self-knowledge. Yeah, I represent the Beijing Ducks, a team formed nearly three years ago with its core aim of playing for enjoyment and a sneaky desire to win, in brackets. Right, I think China's now in the official ICC rankings, aren't they? They expanded the world rankings to include now, I think it's about 80 teams, and uh, I believe China is below the likes of Jersey which I guess there's not many aspects of of sports that that would be the case. Probably not table tennis. But, I mean, if they did ever took it up seriously in China, they might get pretty good at it. And that's actually, if you think about the Olympics, if it became an Olympic sport, T20 or 100 or T10 even, became an Olympic sport. Test cricket, Simon. Let's have test <laughs> cricket in the Olympics. Let's have a year-long Olympics with all nations playing each other in tests. Well, obviously, that would be the, the ultimate goal, but I think sometimes, just sometimes, we need to be a bit more realistic. Oh, where's your sense of adventure? Rashid Shaw writes, I recently listened to you while on a tour of the Balkans, uh, Slovenia and Croatia, where I witnessed cricket being played by school kids in Ljubljana. Uh, who says our beloved sport is dying? I'm now back in Canada, writes Rashid, and we'll continue, we'll continue listening. So that, I mean, that's, that's, that's good to hear, isn't it? Cricket in uh, on the st- on the streets of Slovenia, Slovenia, China. Well, we've had uh, Italy emails from all over uh, the world. I, I think Slovenia is one of the very few nations that Mohamed Nabi has not played against during his international career. Um, this is clearly a, it's a long World Cup, and I wonder uh, if we can find a listener from every single country in the world. I think there's what was it, about a hun- over 190 that are officially recognised by by the UN. Can we get a listener from every single one of those? And if not, then maybe we can send Dan Norcross to Equatorial Guinea. Sort to of drum up Equatorial. support there. That might have the adverse effect there, <laughs> mightn't it? If you are listening in one of the uh, less expected cricketing outposts of the world, or indeed beyond the world, if you're listening elsewhere in the universe, I don't know how far these digital broadcasts go now, or indeed the internet, uh, do email us, uh, tms at bbc.co.uk, and put podcast in the title. Let's hear from every single nation on this planet. Uh, Now, uh, Simon, you were uh, pretty sceptical on this podcast when we received an email from uh, William Folds Hall, who claimed he was listening from a nudist colony in North Florida, where he works as a caretaker, or I hope an extreme caretaker. Um, he noted your cynicism, and he writes, Dear TMS, listening to the crew on the podcast, Simon Mann appeared to be a bit sceptical. One of my friends from England heard the podcast and commented that if he didn't know me, he would think it was made up, but it is for real. My American wife, Lisa, works in the office and the restaurant at this nudist camp, and yes, we do wear clothes for work. Please find some pictures attached. Well, as this is a family show, we won't share the pictures I mean, it's, it's also an audio show, so we won't share the people. I won't describe. <laughs> she, she's wearing a towel. But uh, but, the, the, but there it is. Your scepticism, Simon, has been blown out of the water by fact. OK, well, fair enough. Yep. Yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> I think it's a good time to say goodbye, don't you? We've had, no, we've had no cricket today, which has been hugely disappointing here in Bristol. And as we say goodbye to you, well, it's sunny, isn't it's it? It's sunny. a beautiful sunny afternoon. Now, clearly, there was a huge amount of rain, but did we? Did they? Did we not need a bit more flexibility on cut-off times, particularly, particularly for a World Cup? You know, there's floodlights, there's long evenings. I know the broadcasters have responsibilities, isn't it? Not more important to get a game on. 
Paul Farbrace made the point, and it's a, a decent one, that it has to be the same for everybody. So tomorrow, for example, if we had a similar situation, Afghanistan against New Zealand down in Taunton, which is a day-night game, how you know how long do you extend into the evening? Do you end up playing to midnight? Do you end up playing to one o'clock in the morning? So in a way, I mean, there has to be some sort of hard and fast regulation. Unfortunately, today... Sri Lanka and Pakistan have, have fallen foul of it. We, we could have got some cricket in today, I think, in Bristol, but not within the stipulated time. So, unfortunately, it is the third ever World Cup washout. Goodbye from Bristol. The TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Download and subscribe via the BBC Sounds app for a new episode every day.